Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. You know, back in 2003, TV journalist Martin Basher spent a few weeks with Michael Jackson, and he was interviewing him, following him around with a camera crew, capturing candid moments of Michael Jackson's life, which turned into an in-depth documentary. And it's one, it's, it was very interesting because one of the things that became so clear about Michael Jackson's life is that he had this tremendous fear of aging and dying. They showed footage from his Neverland uh, theme park-like home that he lived in at the time. And everywhere the camera panned, time and time again, you would see not only outside, but inside the house, you would see these statues of Peter Pan. And Martin Bashir asked him, what's with all the Peter Pan statues? I think that's a great question, right? What's with all the statues? And Michael Jackson said, you know, um, I am Peter Pan. I never want to grow up. And then, and then going into the house, they, they noticed that uh, those were statues that were in there. He asked them the same question about those statues. He said, I am Peter Pan. I never want to go up, grow up. And then they went to this uh, place where they sell these exotic-looking caskets, very expensive. And Martin Bashir asked Michael Jackson, do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried? And he said, I don't want to die. I want to live forever. You see, Jackson's paranoia about aging and dying is not unique. In fact, it's very pervasive in our culture. One clear sign that we're terrified of this is that we rarely talk seriously about death, except maybe at funerals, of course. And what's ironic is that in the Victorian age, they talked a lot about death. They never talked about sex. But we do just the opposite, right? We talk a lot about sex, and we never talk about the reality of death. Because I think it, we're too uncomfortable talking about things that we cannot control because we like to control things. In fact, we have more control over more areas of our life now than any other generation before us. Just look at the huge progress the last few decades uh, in technology and in communications over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, we've made huge advances. I mean, we put people on the moon. Even more recently, we've landed spacecrafts on Mars that take, that robots take pictures and send those pictures back to Earth. I mean, the advances in medical science have increased life to the uh, expectancy to the point that some of the people in this room here, you will, you will live to be 100 years old. Yet, with all of our advances, even in medical science, we cannot defeat death. Regardless of your personal or corporate success or how much you feel in control of your life, even the most powerful people actually go through life with a little voice in their head. It's death, and it says, I'm gonna get you in the end. You, you'll, you'll be mine. And we can't ignore this voice or joke about it like it's no big deal, because it is. Woody Allen, the actor, once said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't wanna be there when it happens. <laughs> but you see, his joking masks a lurking fear. Because on another occasion, Woody Allen said this, the fundamental thing about all motivation, behind all motivation and all activity is the constant struggle against annihilation and death. It is absolutely stupefying in its terror. 
and it renders everyone's accomplishments meaningless. That's the way a lot of people think about death. Even those who follow Jesus are a little uncomfortable with the reality that we're all in this room a little closer to our own death than when I first started this sermon. And the tragedy of this condominium collapse in Miami is just a reminder to us, isn't it, of how sudden and how unexpectedly life can come to an end. We may not like to hear about it or talk about it or think about it, but the Bible makes it clear. If we're to make sense of this life, we first have to consider our death. Look at these words from Solomon, the author of the Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes. Here's what he says. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For sadness has a refining influence on us. What an interesting, interesting verse. It goes on to say, it says, not only does sadness have a refining influence on it, it says, a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Now, I want you to mark that verse in your Bible. That, that's an important verse. Screenshot it to your phone, post it, tweet it, memorize it, quote it back to yourself, because what at first seems like a ridiculous idea on second thought and after careful consideration is a brilliant and compelling way to appreciate and maximize the life that you have right now. Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, says to view your life from the perspective of your death because doing so brings focus, it brings clarity, it brings priority to the present. One company that I heard about came up, they've jumped on this idea and they've created an app which sends you a notification five times a day at random times that says, don't forget, you're gonna die. <laughs> no, I downloaded it, I checked it out, it happens. And they explain on their, their website, it says, the regular practice of contemplating mortality helps us accept what we must, let go of things that don't matter, and honor things that do. The app is called, aptly, We Croak, and, <laughs> and their icon is uh, a poisonous frog. No, it's true. I downloaded it yesterday just to see what would happen, and yes, I got these notifications on my phone about every couple hours that said, don't forget, you're going to die. If that doesn't get your attention, then maybe these words from Matthew Henry will. He said, it's the business of every day of your life to prepare for the last day of your life. And I would add to that quote, because the last day is coming, my friends. A few weeks ago, I was in North Carolina on vacation with my wife, and we drove past a church that had a cemetery right out front. Churches used to do that sort of thing. And the sidewalk to the main doors of the church literally went right past dozens and dozens of headstones. And my wife said to me, it'd be a little weird to have to see that every time you go to church. And I replied, yeah, I can't imagine having to think about all those funerals every time. But according to Solomon, that's exactly what I need to be thinking about a lot. And so today is the final message in a series that we're in called Defining Moments, where we're talking about the spiritual significance of funerals and death, because if Jesus delays his return, this is a true statement. One day you will die, and your death will be a defining moment in your life, and then your funeral will be a defining moment in the life of someone else, maybe someone you love or someone who loves you. 
And so of all the defining moments we've talked about over the last six or seven weeks, these two events, your death and your funeral, will likely be the source of your greatest heartaches and your deepest fears. But if you follow Jesus, they don't have to be. You see, the gospel contains a fascinating story of Jesus' encounter with a grieving mother at a funeral. So let's take a look at this story. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So he has disciples, he had many other people who were following along with him. As he approached the town, sorry here, as he approached the town, a dead person was being carried out, the son of his only, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. You see, this is a sad scene, isn't it? It's a funeral. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. There's a crowd following him. And as he's going into the town, a funeral procession is coming out of the town. And there's a mother as a part of this funeral procession, and she's weeping. And if you've ever been to a Middle Eastern funeral or maybe even seen one on TV, you know the degree to which they wail. They do not try to mask their grief. We're told she's already buried her husband, and now this is her only son, and he too has died. And according to custom, they would have likely buried him on the same day that he had died. So this was the day. So the emotion in the scene is raw. This is something that's just happened that same day. And he's being carried out to the cemetery just outside of town. And as his heartbroken mother mourns, the whole town is wailing with her. They're united in their grief. It's a gut-wrenching scene, and maybe one you can identify with as well. Maybe you've been there. Maybe, maybe you've been the chief mourner at a funeral. Maybe the death of a parent or, or your child or your spouse. And if maybe not the chief mourner, you've been in the crowd following behind grieving with those who are mourning. And some of you may even say, I've never even been to a funeral. And that may be true, but I would suggest to you that you're in this scene as well. Because in a real sense, we're all walking with a grieving crowd to the place of our own grave. That's true of all humanity. We're all on a long, slow shuffle towards death. I've been a part of the crowd many times, both as a pastor leading a funeral service, but also as the chief mourner. In July of 2002, my mother died after a long struggle with cancer. You know, the first worship service in this room was her funeral. Her casket was right there. I sat right there. And the list is long of many of you who have the same story as I do. You've mourned your loved ones in this place. Her funeral, by the way, was on a Friday, two, two days before the grand opening of, of this building. And it served, I think, as a sobering reminder, at least to me, that our mission as a church is to tell everyone everywhere that Jesus saves us from the fear of death. I mean, Jesus saves us from the fear of death. And for most people, that's their greatest fear in this life. Whether you're a believer or not, most people are like, I'm afraid to die. But Jesus, I'm here to tell you, saves us from having the terrifying, horrifying fear that so many people have of death. Listen, death is not your friend, but you don't need to fear it because Jesus has defeated it for you. Now, the Hebrew writer 
he says that same thing like this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, and he's talking about the children of God, he, meaning Jesus, likewise shared in their humanity. He became one of us. So that through death, he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who have been held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. That verse says, when we put our hope in Jesus, he's the one that frees us from the fear of death because of what he's done on the cross. You know, funerals are a defining moment in people's lives. And they're a defining moment, I think, in three significant ways. First of all, it honors the one who's died. That's what funerals are about. We have an obligation to honor people's life when they step from this life into the life to come. We honor them. We honor their life. We honor their legacy. We remember their love. But the second important distinction of a funeral is it offers comfort and hope to those who mourn. In this scene, you have a funeral, and the whole town has come out to mourn with this mother. That's what happens at funerals. People come together because there is comfort in knowing that you're not alone. And the third thing that, that is important, a defining moment in a funeral is it reminds us that Jesus is the only answer to death. Jesus is the only answer to death. Nobody else has a compelling answer to the problem of death other than Jesus. So back to our story in Luke 7. We're about to witness a dramatic moment What will the Son of God do when confronted with the horror of death? Let's recap the scene for just a moment. Jesus is going into the town. A grieving mother is coming out of the town, and the whole town is following her. Here they will meet. What will happen? Will Jesus stop? Will Jesus pray with her or for her? Will he join the crowd of mourners shuffling along? What will Jesus do? Well, we have the answer in verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, these two words, don't cry. You see, he stops, he sees her, and he grieves with her. He enters into her pain. He has compassion for her because he knows the devastation that death brings, as do we all. He understands that death is our enemy. Psalm 34, 18 says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. See, God knows your struggle. He knows your heartache. He knows your pain. But even more than just knowing those things, he comes alongside us to help us carry our pain. On another occasion, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened. He says, I will give you, what's the last word? Rest. That's what he does. So he sees this grieving mother and he gives her rest. He comes close to the woman. He's he's filled with compassion. And he says these two words. He says, don't cry. Now, let me just stop and say this about that. (laughs) Let me offer a word of warning to all of us who find ourselves in the position to comfort someone at home or at a hospital or at a cemetery or wherever you may be. These are not the words you want to use. Only Jesus can say these two words to a grieving soul because he knows something that the mother doesn't. He can do something that we can't. He's preparing her for what what is about to happen. I was told by a wise teacher a long time ago, if you don't know what to say in a situation like this, say nothing. 
It's better to be present than profound because your presence will be remembered long after your words are forgotten. Just grieve. So back to the story. Then he went up and he touched the beer they had that they were carrying him on. The beer is a it's a cart. It's a cart that that uh, pallbearers uh, pull or carry or support as they're moving a body to the place of to be laid to rest. And so they were carrying him and the bearers stood still and he said, young man, Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now she has, she's weeping again, but this time, this time it's tears of joy. He's totally flipped the scene around. It was a funeral, now it's a resurrection. There were tears of grief, now there are tears of joy, all because of one man. Jesus helps us overcome the fear of death because of who he is and because of what he has done. You see, there are plenty of people, though, who would read this verse in our culture and they would say, frankly, this is just wishful thinking. Skeptics would say, death is final and our belief in Jesus' power to raise the dead is an irrational attempt to to cling to hope in the face of death. But this is no exaggeration or fairy tale. If you've ever read through the Gospel of Luke, you know that Luke doesn't say something like, well, let me tell you some stories that have been told and retold and told and retold time and time again, and maybe you can find some comfort in these stories. That's not what he says. No, Luke begins his gospel with these words. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that, ha- that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those whom from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, Since I myself, meaning Luke, have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. You see, Luke says, I've looked into these things very carefully, and I've spoken to eyewitnesses, and what I'm writing to you is true. You can be sure that what I'm telling you actually really happened. Luke would have spoken to those who were actually present at some of these scenes when he recorded his gospel. He, he documented eyewitness accounts of what Jesus actually said and what Jesus actually did. Now, in case you're wondering, <clears throat> this is not a one-off miracle. Jesus actually raised others from the dead as well. On another occasion, a man named Jairus, a prominent leader in the Jewish community, came to Jesus because his daughter was sick, she was very sick. And he asked Jesus to come and help. And so they began traveling to his home and a short time later, a messenger arrived and said, unfortunately, the little girl has died. No need to worry the teacher with coming any longer. But Jesus continued to the home saying, don't be afraid, just believe. And then Jesus arrives at the place where there are a large group of people mourning and wailing in grief at her death. And again, Jesus says what seems unthinkable to us. He says, why all this commotion with people crying and wailing loudly? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And then he did what only the Son of God can do. It says, he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum." which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Because the New Testament was written in Greek, but this quote of Jesus' words was actually kept in the Aramaic language and translated for us. 
And this is one of the few instances in all of the New Testament, there are a few others, where we have Jesus' words preserved in his language because he spoke Aramaic. Why did Luke only use these two Aramaic words in the story? Everything else he wrote in Greek. How come just these two words? Scholars say probably because someone Luke interviewed remembered these are the exact words Jesus spoke. Talitha kum. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Again, on another occasion, Jesus went to the home of a friend, Lazarus, who had recently died. And he went to the home and uh, he saw Lazarus' sisters, two sisters, Mary and Martha, and he speaks to Martha. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus went to the tomb where a large stone was covering the entrance to Lazarus' grave site. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. They said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. He says, roll the stone away. And then the Gospel of John tells us Jesus spoke loudly these words. He said, Lazarus, come out. And then in a massive understatement, the scripture says, the man came out. <laughs> he, came on, he came out. But those miracles, those three miracles, they lead to an even greater miracle. You see, Jesus joins us, you and me, on this march towards death. In fact, he goes before us, not empty-handed. He's dragging a Roman cross. And he marches towards death to die on a cross, not for his own sin, because he had no sin, but he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness in this life and the life to come. And then after three days in the tomb, it says Jesus rose victorious over death, making it possible for us to face death without fear, having the confidence that when we die, and one day we will, that it's not the end. There's a great story that goes back a number of years. Christopher Columbus, who died in 1506, they, uh, they built a, a monument in Spain to his, to, to his life. And <clears throat> perhaps the most e- interesting feature of this memorial is that at the base of it, there's a lion, a big lion, uh, where the Spanish national monument, or motto, I should say, is engraved. And um, <clears throat> the lion is reaching out with its paw to strike away one of the words from the motto. It's interesting, too, because before Christopher Columbus made his voyages, the Spaniards thought that they'd reached the outer limits of earth. So their motto was no plus ultra, which is Latin. It says, no more beyond, no more beyond. And the word being torn away by the lion is the word No. So now it makes the motto read more beyond, or some would say further beyond. You see, Columbus proved there was indeed more beyond what they could see. And the same is true for those of us who follow Jesus. There is more beyond. You see, one day I will see my mother again, and you will see your loved ones who died faithful to Jesus Christ. And that will be a day of rejoicing like no other, And we'll remember the words, when that day comes, remember the words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 6. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that you may be where I am and you know the place where I am going. And at this point, Thomas speaks up and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how do we know the way? And then Jesus makes this rather remarkable statement to Thomas, to us, to the world. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is the reason that we need not fear death in this life because of what he has done for us on the cross. That's why he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And today, I hope that's exactly what you will do. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that you care for us and that even in the midst of the most heart-wrenching times in our lives, when we're facing our own death or maybe even dealing with the passing of someone we love or, or know well, Lord, that you're there in the midst of that. You walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We can trust in you because you're there for us. And Lord, today we, we ask your presence. Help us not to put our hope in the things of this world, which are fading away quickly, it seems, but put our hope in the promises of scripture in the truth of your word. Knowing that as we shuffle along in this life towards our inevitable end, that ultimately it's not the end because you've promised not only yourself a resurrection, which has already happened, but you've promised us one as well. We put our hope in that. We put our trust in that. And that gives us confidence knowing that we've seen you work in the lives of other people, that you overcome the grave, that you've defeated death, and that there's victory in you and in you alone. Lord, we're so grateful for that. Thank you. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.